Welcome back to Small Business Big Lessons, a Buffer original series. My name is Haley Griffiths. I work at Buffer. And in this podcast, we explore business stories like you've never heard before. We look at how to build a successful business while doing good in communities and around the world. And we're uncovering the big lessons we can learn from small businesses. In this episode, we're going to be looking at taking a stand. A 2021 Ipsos Mori study found that the majority of people they studied agreed that business leaders have a responsibility to speak out on social and political issues. The same study found that the number of people in the U.S. agreeing with the statement, I tend to buy brands that reflect my personal values, rose from 50 to 66% between 2013 and 2021. And it's not just those outside of your business demanding change. A 2021 study by Edelman found that 61% of the employees they spoke to choose, leave, avoid, and consider employers based on their values or beliefs. By standing still and not speaking out on the issues that matter to you and your customers, you run the risk of alienating your audience. But when doing anything public as a business owner, it's important to make sure that you're approaching it in the right way for you and your business. So with so many worthy causes and important movements that need support, how do you choose where to focus your energy? Should you be responding to these issues or baking in ways to proactively avoid your business being part of the problem? Or should you do both? And how do you best communicate the work you do? How much is enough? In this episode, we're going to bring you stories about taking a stand when to do it, how to do it, and when not to do it at all, and just listen. We asked Holly why she thinks there has been such a rise in customers' expectations around activism, and why, by and large, businesses have been keen to respond to that need. One, I think it's because of, you know, everything that we went through since the pandemic and with the murder of George Floyd. But I also think it's a generational shift in a lot of ways as well. And I think it's also a medium shift. 20 years ago, you could take a stand as a business, but it wasn't going to spread as much as it can when a business is online and there's social media and there's these ways to get messaging across. So I think a lot of things contributed to the fact that people feel more comfortable doing it nowadays. And I think that, you know, using those times as a source of inspiration and motivation to create something new in the world is really important. Becky and Hugh started Painter in large part as a response to the environmental and humanitarian impact that the fast fashion industry is having on the world. Our industry is not shy of touting a sustainable collection in the middle of a store that's actually surrounded by other products without that label. That surely means they're deeply unsustainable. Through the sheer volumes of stuff that fast fashion brands are selling and incredibly low prices that just mean that fair living wages could never be paid to the people who made them. We all know who we're talking about. The Shanes, the Boohoo's, the H&M's. There's so many of them. And Einstein actually said that we cannot solve problems applying the same thinking that we used to create them in the first place. So if that means we're thinking fast fashion brands can make more sustainably, let's say, maybe using organic cottons or less toxic dyes or small incremental improvements to the way they manufacture, yes, that'll improve things in a tiny way, but it's not going to have a big impact on our planet. I think the sheer volume and the wastefulness is actually a much bigger, broader society problem that is incredibly sad at the crux of it. 
It's not just the physical unsustainability of fast fashion that Painter are fighting back against. It's also the expectations that we as consumers have around the amount of clothes we need to buy and the rate at which we should be updating our wardrobes. I think we've all been programmed to spend more money on more things that we don't need, trying to impress people we don't need to impress. And that's really sad. It's also probably not going to change anytime soon. I remember some of the most exciting days actually as a child growing up when my cousins would come over and they'd bring their bags of hand-me-down clothes and we'd rifle through them and decide what we were going to keep and ultimately giving those garments a longer life. I don't think that really happens anymore because newness is just completely choking us and that's the biggest problem with our industry. If we're going to keep buying, because let's be realistic, we probably all are going to keep buying things, then the least that we can do is try to buy in a more considered way. Before we started Painter, we saw the wastefulness of our industry before we sold our first jacket and that was when we decided we don't want to contribute to this. We wanted to buy the exact meters of fabric that we needed, the exact number of buttons that we needed, and by the time that a jacket was being cut in our factory, it had someone's name against it. Like we knew exactly who that jacket was going to be made for. I think with sustainability, like it's so easy to find the topic incredibly daunting and so big and just feel like you have no hope, but actually you can make a difference. A mentor of ours, Vanessa Podmore, said, the best thing that you can do when starting out is to pick your lane, which means that you're probably not going to be best at absolutely everything. So pick the area that you think you can make a really good impact with. It might be dyes, it might be how you design and how you cut your garments for having a limited amount of waste. But for us, it was our business model. And seeing progress in one area is really, really exciting. And then you can start to make changes in other areas once you're starting to get on top of things. Rand at SparkToro also feels the responsibility to push back against the issues he sees in his industry. The big revenues that massive tech companies generate has meant that they can gain huge power and influence over legislation. And Rand argues that over time, laws have been enforced in a way that favors the preferences of those powerful companies over the interests of society at large. He uses his platform and insights into the tech world to address these issues and collaborates with the government in order to make positive change. I have the belief that lack of antitrust enforcement over the last 50 years in the United States has dramatically harmed economic opportunity and it has stifled innovation. I also believe it has contributed massively to income inequality and to equity inequality. Basically, you have just a few companies that kind of control the gateways to the internet, control internet commerce, control internet advertising. And that lack of enforcement is also illegal. It is breaking the rule of law in the United States, which I think is also a terrible thing. And it happens because these big companies are able to lobby politically and socially to get the enforcement that they want. Um, that benefits their owners and their financial returns at the cost of everyone else. So I am not a very, you know, politically connected or, you know, economically important person. Um, I don't have like a massive amount of wealth or anything like that or influence. But I do feel a significant obligation to do what I can with the voice that I've got, however small that is, to make a difference here. And so I've published some research on this front, you know, sort of showing the degree to which Google and Facebook and Amazon and others don't do the things that would create fair competition in their fields and don't 
ascribe to what I think are the antitrust laws that the United States has had in place for 100 plus years now, and then getting very angry on my blog and Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook and other places about the lack of enforcement. And I've also uh, had some of my research and some of my quotes uh, cited by Congress and talked to several attorneys general from the states who are suing, you know, Google and Facebook. My hope is if there's just a few more people contributing in small ways, maybe together we can make a difference. I certainly don't expect that my little contributions will have a real significant impact, but I think that everyone has an obligation to help. Here at Buffer, we provide tools to help small businesses grow their brands online. And so we feel a sense of responsibility for the type of content that some users might choose to post on social media using Buffer. As a smaller company, we can move quickly on the kind of action we want to take. Here's Joel to speak on that. We inevitably end up having to think about what types of content can be shared. And so, especially recently, misinformation has been growing and been a, a growing concern for us. And so when it comes to vaccine misinformation, election misinformation, these types of things, we've started to have much less tolerance for them. And I think whilst we have far less resources than maybe the massive corporations, we actually have more freedom in, in some ways than those enterprises. So we've taken steps to adjust our terms of service and the, the terms of use of the products so that we can be very clear within there what we will allow and not allow, and then we can actually start to enforce it more. Since we're a small company, we can do that and we can move pretty fast with those things. And so that's the direction we've been going more recently and it's feeling like the right thing for us, for the stage we're at, the culture, the DNA, you know, the type of company we are. Reacting to current events and responding to the types of deep, meaningful questions that come up for us in times of crisis can give us both the purpose and energy we need to make change. Z at Rise Up Bakery was profoundly affected by the events of 2020, but by immersing himself in his work, he found a way to channel that energy into making positive change. During the pandemic, um, I went down a rabbit hole and I kind of, I tell people it kind of broke my brain. The whole uh, murder of George Floyd, um, what it meant to the world, what it meant to me, what it meant because he looked and was seen like me in the world, where I fit in the world, how the world sees people like me, like the person I am, am I that person so that I don't offend other people? Can I be my own authentic self? Can I be frustrated? Can I be sad? with all the rage that I felt like there's so many things where it just overtook my brain and I didn't really have any place to hide and baking helped me back from that edge, the actual act, the Zen of getting lost and working with my hands and being really present and enjoying that action healed a lot of cracks in my heart. And so knowing what that did for me, how could I not want to share that with other people? Right. There is the social aspect of it. There is the cultural aspect of it. There is the business aspect of it. But the truth is, is it just made me feel good. And I want to share that with other people because I would have never known that this and what this represents could do so much for my soul. And so in some ways, I'm fairly jealous because I'm like, oh, they've been holding this hostage. They've been holding this out. No one told me that this could be my little Shangri-La, you know? So everybody's different. 
But I feel like being exposed at a younger age to different forms of thought and different ideas of who you could be helps you hone who you want to be. If you only think you can be a basketball player or a rapper or a drug dealer or like some dude who's flossing, if that's the only reality that you're force fed every single day, it's no wonder that people have an identity crisis and I have a hard time. Like if being a janitor makes you happy, you should be the best janitor you can be. If working at a law firm makes you happy, you should be the best lawyer you should be. But the reality is, is those aren't the only options. I want to have more options and I want to show the world that no matter what you choose to be, you should love it and you can be great at it. And I don't think the world, especially kids, are taught to be great. They're taught not to make mistakes. They're taught to get along. They're taught to not stand up for themselves or not stand up for someone else because you don't want to get in trouble. Like, they're taught all these things, but they're not really taught like, hey, you know what? You can be great make a decision, feel what makes you happy and go for it. Right. And I'm, I'm just still learning that. And, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah old now, you know? So, <laughs> so if I can help kids, um, see other ways that they could be happy, I think it would be amazing. It's easy to feel overwhelmed when looking out at the world and trying to pick the cause or causes you want to support. So it's important to first figure out the things that matter to you and your business the most. Because there's so much that's going on in the world, you can really pick your initiative right now of like, where do I focus our money and our time? And there's so many causes to align yourself with that I tell people, really take a step back and ask yourself why you're aligning with certain causes, not from like a political perspective, but I just mean like from an internal culture perspective. And it will help you understand like, that's why we align with this cause, but we can't align with all the 50 causes that are out there because we can't do it all. And I do see entrepreneurs get overwhelmed and feel like they want to make an impact in every area. And I tell them it's really important to focus and be okay with your own focus and not trying to think that you have to do it all to make an impact impact. So what are some of the causes that matter most to our featured businesses and how are they spending their time and money to make an impact? Here's Sheena. We've worked with a range of community partners over the life of Made With Local. Our current partners are largely focused here in our hometown of Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. We work closely with organizations that are helping to address food insecurity, which has you know, much deeper roots than just not having enough food in your pantry, right? These are systemic issues that are a significant issue in where we live in the world. So we partner with the North Grove, which is a really awesome community food center here that is holistically supporting this large neighborhood of the North Dartmouth area to live you know, healthier, more well-supportive lives. And we help out on their urban farm when we can. We donate product all the time. Christine, our director of sales, actually sits on their board of directors. So she's really involved um, significantly from a governance perspective there. I've recently helped to found a Dartmouth Community Fridge Project, which is a mutual age fridge and pantry that is just a block away from our offices here in downtown Dartmouth. And we're heavily involved with making sure that there's enough food for anybody to come buy and take uh, from that fridge and pantry with no barriers, no questions asked. And then we also work closely throughout the course of the year with different Indigenous uh, and Pride initiatives uh, that we're really honoured to be able to sponsor through financial donations, product, etc. Those are some of the things that are the nearest and dearest to our heart. 
Z at Rise Up Bakery also feels a sense of responsibility for those in his community. And with the amount of careful consideration that goes into the bread he produces, it's no wonder he wants to share it with as many people in his community as possible. We've done a lot of thinking about, you know, why do we do this and what kind of flour do we use and what does that do for your body? What does that do for your gut? What does that do for your insulin levels? Like, what does that do for flavor profiles? And so there's all this intentionality and like thoughtfulness that's going into what we're doing so that you don't have to worry about it. I think like I'm feeding my family. I think like I'm making it for my mother because I am, right? That's the way I treat the reverence that I have and what I do is like, this is going to be beautiful. And so we give people an opportunity to buy a loaf for themselves and we try to inspire them to then also buy a loaf to be donated. When thinking about change and how Rise Up should focus its energy, Z draws from his own past experiences to find what really matters to him. By going and handing out bread directly to the folks that need it, Z can see the immediate change that his work is having and really feel the positive impact he's making on his community. When I was young, my family was homeless for a period of time, and we survived off the goodness of strangers who would bring us food. And if you've ever been hungry and you don't know where your food's coming from, it's an awful feeling. So I might not be able to fix everything on the planet. I might not be able to buy somebody a place to live in. But what I can do is use my hands, use my skills to make beautiful food. Because some days you just need enough food to get through the day so you can live another day. And for me, that really matters. So it speaks to my soul. So I try to inspire other people to do the same. Maybe it's just something small, but one loaf of bread can feed somebody. And so sometimes people raise money and they donate it and they hope it gets to the people. Well, if I donate bread, I know it's getting to people. If I go around and I hand out loaves of bread to people, it matters to them. You know, it matters to me. And there's that exchange. So we do work with Glide. Glide is a San Francisco-based center for social justice that focuses on poverty, housing, and homelessness in their community. They feed hundreds of people a day. We've worked with One Richmond. One Richmond is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the community of Richmond, San Francisco. A lot of uh, elders, especially during the pandemic, couldn't go out and shop for themselves. So we donated a lot. They would take our bread and groceries and stuff and bring it to their homes. We've done it at a battered women's shelter. A lot of places that are near and dear to my heart. And I feel like You know, just showing people that you care about them helps them care about themselves sometimes. Like, you know, if you don't feel like no one even notices your suffering, it's kind of hard to get up every day, you know? So sometimes just knowing that you have the energy and someone actually cared enough to come and help you out makes you feel a little bit better. So I'll try to do that. Here at Buffer, we donate to a select group of nonprofits every year. Here's Joel with more. The annual charitable contribution that we have at Buffer essentially... Every year, at the end of the year, we look at our net profit and a portion of that, around 10%, we do a profit share in the team. And then whatever that amount is of the profit share, we take 20% of that amount and match that. We started doing this in 2017, 2018, which was right around the time we were buying out our investors, right around the time that we had our co-founder and another executive leave the company. And as I thought about being a long-term independent company, I thought about, I don't want to be a company that just doesn't contribute in this way to the world and then maybe sells. And then on the back of the sale, like maybe I start doing some philanthropic activities or that kind of thing. It felt very important to me that can we actually bake it into the company that we can do good along the way. 
Each year, our team members vote to decide where we donate this money. We want to think about what's the biggest impact we can have with those funds, and then like what types of causes do we want to focus on? Do we want to align those much more directly with the company, our vision and mission? And so that's been a bit more where we've started to shift, thinking about it not just as, okay, we're donating this money, but can we do something that's really intertwined with our own mission, with what we're focusing on? We started thinking more about underrepresented groups and different causes focused on them that are also focused on you know, small businesses in some way. Like Things like that, I think, are where we want to be heading more and like connecting it really to our mission, to what we're trying to do. As we're a small team, we can act quickly. So when there are sudden changes in world events, we can react to those and redirect our contributions accordingly. We like to keep a little bit of flexibility in our charitable contributions and the way we go about that. So in uh, 2020, with the Black Lives Matter movement and everything happening there, we felt really called to make a contribution there. And I think that's something we actually probably want to build even more of that type of flexibility in so that we can adapt and, and choose. And I think there's maybe a blend of the two that we want to have as our maybe longer term approach to this, where we have a few causes that we feel like are very set down. They're going to be our causes for the next 10 years because that's just those are the areas we want to be contributing towards. But then having also some flexibility of some portion of the funds that we can more reactively, more like decide like, okay, there's something going on here that we want to be positively contributing towards. So let's do that. At Buffer, we've always gone against the traditional paths. And one area where we've really done so is the way that we work. By pushing against normal work expectations, we hope to make an impact on the future of work and serve as an example that things can be done in a more sustainable way that avoids problems such as burnout. We want the fact that Buffer exists to be a good thing for the world. Basically, it's kind of as simple as that. But also for everyone involved, we want it to be sustainable. And that's also where we thought a lot about burnout and the risks of burnout and how can we help with that. And that's where the four-day work week comes in as well. And things like that where we don't also want people to end up on a deferred life plan in terms of their own balance. Becky and Hugh were able to raise money for an important cause with a studio sale, selling off jackets and other items that they no longer needed and their community came together to maximize the amount they could give. We felt it was really important to help people in Ukraine because how totally and utterly frightening. And we felt like we couldn't do anything from so far away. So the best thing that we can do is show solidarity by raising money and giving it to a really well-organized fund like the Red Cross who know exactly where the money is needed and how to distribute that effectively. So we looked around our studio which is also our stock room. And that means we don't have much stock because we make to order. But what we did have was some prints that we had made because with every batch, we give away a little gift that's always a surprise. And that at the time had just been a print of a painting that we commissioned for that batch for the label. So we had those prints and we had some samples from all of our batches previously gone. We sent an email and we said, look, we haven't got very much, but what we have got, we'd really like to use to raise some money. At 4.30, they'll be online. So we raised £23,000 together with us donating and also a very generous customer who wanted to match our donation, um, who would love to remain anonymous, but we are ever grateful because that meant that together we raised a lot more and will have much more of an impact than we would have done alone. The thing about activism and when things are happening is that we feel compelled to act really quickly. 
With unlimited real-time access to news and current events, it can often feel like we're living in the center of a storm. And when faced with all the world's problems all at once, we can feel the urge to act right there in the moment. When thinking about how best we can react to current events, Holly takes inspiration from American academic and activist Loretta Ross. And her whole posture is about approaching activism from the space of like first taking a moment to really think about why it is that we're doing what we're doing, why we're choosing to do these things, and to not approach it from a space of like, we have to get out there immediately and do this thing. And I think that moment of pause is really important just to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? How does it align with our company? How does it impact the people that work here? And even just that moment of pause can actually help us express in a different way than if we rush to activism, which can feel counterintuitive in the moment when things feel big and they feel like, oh my gosh, we have to say something. And sometimes it's more important to take a, a moment to digest first and lay a good foundation before you start to put the messaging out there. We've all seen PR disasters where a company has been called out for missing the mark when speaking out. As social media users, we're developing a keen eye for stunts that are purely self-serving, and that can make talking publicly about important issues intimidating for some businesses. Holly says the best approach can be to pause and think deeply about the message we want to send out in order to avoid appearing insincere. And we can feel it, right? We live in an era where we can feel it and we can sense it, where it's so much better just to take a minute and do something that's a little bit deeper than maybe just like sharing something on social media or like that's more profound, or even just to say like, hey, we actually don't know how to respond yet, but we're gonna continue this conversation until we do know how to respond is more compelling. We've heard that focusing inward and asking important questions of ourselves is a great way to find out what's important to us and can tell us where to focus our efforts when taking a stand. And to take it even further, another way to make change out there in the world is to inspire that kind of deep thought in others. You might catch yourself thinking, why are we also making more stuff? Are we contributing to this? Are we part of the problem? But if we didn't create new things made in our own way and connecting people to how things are made so that they care, then we'd have no impact at all. We'd be basically saying to the high street, you guys crack on. And so that's why we started Painted to show that there actually is another way. Our ultimate goal is to make change whether it's in the landscape of baking and the way we do it and what we choose to make so that it makes other people go, wow, I've never seen that before. Those kind of questions make you go, well, why? Why have you never seen that before? And there are a bunch of underlying answers, but I can't force feed you that. But making people ask questions, inspiring people to care, that is the first step towards real change, I think. And so I'm just trying to do my part in that. Whether you want to support those less fortunate than you, be an example of change in your industry, or inspire the next generation to be the most effective agent of change that you can be requires careful thought and deliberate action. Although the act of taking a stand needs courage and passion, the real work of long-term, meaningful, and sustainable change means we need to walk the walk and engage with our communities, our leaders, and our customers. We need to lead by example to show that there is a better way to do things, a fairer way for our societies to be, and a brighter future to work towards. In the next and final episode of this season, we'll be talking about relinquishing control, overcoming fears, and letting go. 
Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Small Business Big Lessons, a Buffer original series. Please join us at buffer.com slash community to continue the conversation about this episode. We would love to see you there. This episode of Small Business Big Lessons was written and produced by Rowan Bishop at Message Heard. Script edited by me, Haley Griffiths at Buffer, and interviews were conducted by Umber Bhatti at Buffer. Be sure to subscribe to Small Business Big Lessons on your preferred podcast platform to keep up with the latest episodes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave us a review.